Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us today for our recap and discussion of Deadhouse Gates, Volume 2 of the Malazan Book of the Fallen by Steven Erickson. Today we will be covering Book 2 of Deadhouse Gates, Whirlwind. I forgot how absolutely out of control this chapter is. We're going from blood flies to diverse battles to river forges with thousands of people. Oh my God, this was so good. Ah! I got like a weird skin thing and that blood fly oh, scene yeah. is like, it was already burned into my brain from the first time I read it. And I was like, I reread it again. I was thinking about skipping it and I was like, no, I want to maybe I've like made it into something it wasn't in my brain. I didn't. I didn't. It was exactly as utterly horrific as the first time I read it. Man. It was actually worse this time because I forgot about like the tincture and like the larva. Uh, yeah, that it, it was, and like it was, the spicy yeah. flavor. Oh, man. It's pretty bad. He involves all the senses. That was uh, overkill, Stephen Erickson, but in, in the coolest way possible. Uh, right. Poor Felicin. We got to talk about Felicin. That's just just one thing after another for her. You know? Yeah, she doesn't handle it well, though. No, no, not at all. No, she is a decline of Felicin a lot in here. We'll get there's into that a, later. <laughs> there's a lot going on here. Yeah, this is a really, really wild chapter of this book. And I think that I want to say it's like my favorite. But no, the, we got the we have chain of dogs after this. Dude, we're not even there yet folks like we're, <laughs> we've got some some really cool stuff ahead of us but speaking of really cool stuff ahead of us let's just get straight to the recap and we've got lots to talk about after that let's do it six days after bowden's disappearance felison sits with beneth in bula's tavern beneth is suspicious that felison knows about bowden's whereabouts later they join beneth's patrol squad and meet dosi guards who provoke Beneth into approaching them. One of the guards breaks Beneth's nose, then Felicin sees Beneth fall down, struck by a quarrel, and she runs away towards the barracks. Felicin is high on Durhang for all this exchange. Pella explains to her that the Malazans are trying to crush the mutiny of the Dosai guards. He insists that she come with him and he leads her to Heboric's room, where Bowden reveals himself. They plan to escape the Otataral mines by swimming across Sinker Lake with bladders of air. There are caves on the other side, where Bowden has been hiding for the past few days. Felicin wants to bring Beneth along, and Bowden agrees to find him while the girl and the priest wait for him hidden in the mud next to the lake. Alone with Heberick, she understands that the priest didn't want her to come along. She is convinced that he despises her due to her fall seeing in his eyes the very same contempt that she feels for herself. Heboric explains the plan to her. Their escape has been arranged by an old friend of Heboric's, Duker, the Imperial Historian. Supplies have been prepared for them outside the caves. They will walk for ten days across the desert to the inside coast, where a boat will pick them up and take them to the mainland. As they wait for Bowden, they are attacked by a swarm of blood flies. While the blood flies avoid Heberic due to his blessing by Fenner, they savagely bite Felicin on her thighs, her face, around her eyes, in her mouth, and in her ears. Thanks to Heboric's special tincture, they manage to extract the larvae from the wounds, but Felicin is scarred past healing. Bowden arrives and tells them that Beneth is dead. Felicin feels pain and anguish at the revelation, convinced that Bowden didn't even look for him. She feels she has to go on nonetheless, and the trio swim across the lake as planned and get to the cave. Bowden goes scouting outside and sees Dosin Polly glowing with sorcery in the distance. 
Back in the cave, he tells Haboric and Felicin that the whirlwind has come. Duker and Kolp have left Hisar and explore a fishing village in order to find a boat meant to rescue Haboric from the Otataral mines. While they are in the village inn, they meet a group of Malazan marines attached to the coastal guard. Corporals Gessler, Stormy, the recruit Truth, and an additional group of sailors. The corporal suspects Kolp of being a deserter. Before things turn ugly, they are interrupted by the arrival of a mob who attack the inn and also want to torch the Ripath, the marine's boat, which has been fully provisioned in anticipation of the need for a sudden withdrawal. Amongst the attacker is a mage, and Kolp is drawn into a mage battle. Duker, having seen in the distance that Hisar is in flames, decides he has to get back to Coltane. Stormy helps him get his horse out of the stable, and the historian sets out to rejoin the Seventh. Kolp sets off a barrage of distracting magic, and he and the marines set off in the ripath and manage to escape the enemy mage. The marines are more than willing to go to Haboric's rescue once they find out that he is a high priest of Fenner. Gessler and Stormy were part of Boar Company of the disbanded First Army and are followers of the cult of Fenner, even having recruited Truth. As Dukur is riding towards Hisar, he comes across a scene of Malazan soldiers being tortured on sliding beds. This sways him from being a detached observer and historian and instead he resolves to gather all the information he can which might be of use to the Malazan forces. When he gets to Hisar, Dukur witnesses scenes of absolute horror, although it becomes evident that the Malazan forces weren't totally wiped out. Unable to prevent the first attack on the estate districts, the Wiccans had sortied around the attackers and killed them in an ambush. They had then withdrawn before the arrival of rebel reinforcements, taking many of the citizens with them. Before he is able to leave, Dukur is conscripted into the rebel army. In their exploration of Iskarl Pust's abode at Tessim, Mappo and Akarium come across a chamber housing a fishing boat, which has been there for no more than five years. They deduct that it must have once belonged to Servant. Three hours later, they find Pust in the library, where it appears he has been waiting for them. The priest begins reading a deck of the dragons and finishes with telling Ikarium that he must go on a quest. After a bit of hands-on persuasion by Ikarium, to speak plainly, the priest tells the Jag that he must go into the Holy Desert since Shaik is dead. Mappo voices his doubts about the wisdom of witnessing the rebirth of the Whirlwind Goddess, while refraining from voicing his fear that doing so might awaken Ikarium to the truth which has been hidden from him. Fiddler, Crocus, and Absalar, still pursued by their Grawl hunters, are caught in an unnatural sandstorm as they enter the holy desert of Uraku. Crocus is upset because Moby has disappeared once again, and Fiddler reminisces silently about his previous encounter with the desert. Unexpectedly, they come across a well-made paved road which seems to run straight as an arrow, heading southwestward into the heart of Ruraku. As Fiddler sees no point in going back the way they have come, and considering Quickben's theory that the fabled gate and house of the Azath, called Tremorlore, might be at the heart of Ruraku, he decides that they should follow the road. When the Grawl catch up with them moments later, Fiddler ends the pursuit by firing a cusser at them. As they continue in the whirlwind, Fiddler thinks the goddess behind it is mad and wonders who can stop her. Kalam skirts the edges of Uraku, accompanied by the Aptorian demon which Shaikh gave to him. 
He doesn't trust the creature. They are attacked by a Ivers, but manage to defeat the wolves. The Aptorian, called Apt for short by Kalam, is wounded in the attack, but refuses Kalam's offer of cleaning the wound. There is something odd about the demon, but Kalam can't figure out what it is. Dukar leaves Hisar and examines the aftermath of the battle between Coltane's Malazans and the army of the Whirlwind. He is told by a sergeant that Kamist Rilo lives and will soon be on the hunt for the surviving Malazans. Dukar decides to follow the trail left by Coltane's army and the refugees southwards into the Syke Odhan, desperate to join them. Pretending he is going to search for his nephew's body among the corpses, he rids himself of the sergeant and the squad. As he rides on, he thinks of Coltane's narrowed options, as well as his own small chances of surviving his attempt to catch up with and join Coltane. He notices horsemen riding hard, which he guesses to be the Tithan Horse Warriors, on their way towards the Driz Spring where he expects Coltane to be headed as well. Felicen, Bowden, and Haboric head west from Skullcup over large basins towards the coast. They travel at night and take rest and sleep in the day. Felicen is still recovering from the bloodfly bites. Even though the swelling has decreased, the bites have left a sense of poison under her skin. Every night she now dreams of a river of blood. She begins to look forward to the promise of the dream. They come across a monolith, which Heberich claims to be the finger of a buried statue. He notices Ototarl dust in the air. This makes Heberich eager to seek the cover of their tents. As they continue their journey the following night, Felicen notices that one of Heboric's stumps has become infected, where he touched the monolith and that his tattoos have grown brutally dark. He admits to the pain it brings him, wondering how the statue's magic survives in Ototarl sand, or if the Ototarl gave birth to its magic. Felicen wonders if he is going to live much longer. When Heboric falls behind, Bowden goes looking for him, and Felicen, suspicious he is hoarding water due to his seemingly impossible fitness and inexhaustible supply of energy, takes the opportunity to rifle through Bowden's pack, where she finds many curious items, including assassin's tools and a talon. Bowden returns with Heboric and gives him water, despite Felicen's objections. She holds her sacrifice over his head, but Bowden shrugs it off claiming most of their favors came from the work he did for the guards in the mining prison, not her sacrifices, and that Beneth used to laugh at her noble cause, quote-unquote. Felicen perceives this as him attempting to poison her thoughts of Beneth, as well as escape his own guilt over what she did to keep them safe. She declares her prophecy that she will be the only one to live through the journey. The next night, they come across a spring, only to find out that it is fouled by Cape Moth Larvae, Heboric is unconscious and appears near death. Bowden, using Heboric's tattoos, successfully attempts to open the Warren of Fenner. The air screams, Heboric's tattoos blossom out onto the stone, an immense hoof hits the ground before rising up again as Fenner is called down. Afterwards, Heboric seems rejuvenated and claims that Fenner is now back in the mortal world, but that the god is afraid. They continue their journey. Heboric claiming he smells water. He tells Felicen that when they are at the coast, she will find that nothing has changed. Bowden shouts in surprise. Mappo thinks back to his tribe days, specifically 200 years ago when he was already several centuries old, to when he returned to his hometown and found it destroyed a month past, its 15,000 inhabitants slain. 
He had returned after the diviners in his adopted clan had seen the destruction that had been predicted by the Nameless Ones months earlier. The Nameless Ones told them to forsake vengeance and choose one to take on the task of ensuring such a disaster would never happen again. One day he, Ikarium, shall return to his home. Until that time you must attend, the Nameless One said. Mappo is plucked out of his memory by Ikarium, mentioning how strange a land untraveled can look so familiar. He then mentions how he is fascinated by Mappo's memories, as Ikarium has none, though Mappo rarely shares them. The two watch the sandstorm and note it has grown and draws closer. They wonder if Shaikh has ascended. Mappo once again bridles at the prospect of being manipulated by Pust and Ikarium says he has grown accustomed to it. When Mappo asks who is manipulating him, Akarium shrugs and says he stopped asking that a long time ago. As Akarium turns his back to prepare food, Mappo goes back to thinking about sweet vengeance. Akarium confesses his curiosity over Mappo's memories. They discuss Shaikh's death and the prophecies. Fiddler, Crocus, and Absalar continue down the ancient road on their ever-tiring horses. Hidden in the sandstorm, the party overhear the sounds of a vicious battle, the likes of which are not human but bestial and demonic. They are forced to stop because Crocus's horse gives up. They brace themselves for battle, realizing the fight they hear is between De Ivers and Soultaken. Fiddler sees three Grawl hunters charging towards them. One is attacked by a Soultaken in the form of a bear, and the rest, including a fourth Grawl hunter previously unseen, are defeated by Absalar in quick succession. Fiddler is severely injured during the attack by a creature who is in turn attacked by Fiddler's gelding. In the chaos, thousands of Diver's rats appear, and Fiddler tells Absalar to get the last cusser for suicide. Before she can, Ikarium calls out the name of the Divers, Grillin, Tide of Madness, flushed out of Egaton in the fire, and tells it to leave. Fiddler is shocked by the fact that Grillin actually hesitates. Mappo steps out next to Ikarium, and Fiddler feels he should be able to recognize these two characters, but the pain is muddying his thinking. Ikarium tells Grillin the trio is under his protection, and Grillin retreats. Fiddler blacks out thereafter. Dukur hears from fleeing Tithansi tribesmen that Coltane sprang an ambush for them with his Wiccan horse warriors at the Drizh Spring, resulting in a slaughter of the Tithansi, despite the fact that they outnumbered the Wiccans sevenfold. This has resulted in exaggerated rumors, such as demons or a Malazan ascendant aiding the Wiccans, rumors that may prove advantageous against the enemy. He continues towards the oasis, contemplating the strong threat posed to Rillo's army by Coltane. Dukur finds that the oasis surrounding the Drizh Spring has been pillaged. The Seventh and the refugees have already left without taking proper rest, moving into the steppes. A move Dukur is unable to fathom. He decides to take a break from his tiring journey at the spring. At dusk, he continues on the trail and wonders how long Coltane will be able to hold off what he believes is the inevitable. Felicin, Haborik, and Bowden reach the coast and wait for Dukur to rescue them on a boat. Heboric is now entirely black and is in a surprisingly good mood. Felicin seduces Bowden when Heboric goes to bed in order to create an opportunity to kill him as they sleep together. Bowden, however, foils the tack effortlessly and makes it clear that he was well aware of her intentions. She accuses him of leaving Beneth to die. 
He tells her he killed Beneth himself before leaving. He says he only laid with her to see if she was still the monster she became in Skull Cup. Felicen believes he already knew she was, but that he wanted to show it to her. As the trio continue waiting, they see a wave of sorcery racing towards them, which is nullified by the Otataral on the island. As the sorcery fades, they see a boat, with two men approaching them. The Ripath arrives. On its way to Otataral Island, it was attacked by the volatile sorcery of a mage trapped in a nightmare. Culp guesses the mage is an escaped prisoner who has lost his mind due to the exposure of the Otataral and has therefore lost control over his own warren. He and his companions were forced to fight their way through as they sailed alongside the shore, before they finally managed to find a break in the reef. As they sailed down the coast, Culp had felt the Otataral presence soften, as if some power were weakening or negating the Otataral's effect. Once landed, he believes it has something to do with Haborik. Haborik is told that Culp and Dukur had to separate. He and Culp discuss their companions and Haborik's inflictions. Culp's sensitivity and deep perception informs him that Bowden is more than just a simple thug. He also finds himself disturbed by Felicen. By opening his warren, he is able to observe a ghost hand, extending from his left stump, and a mixture of Otataral red and unknown green which blunts the effects of the Otataral. This leads the Cadre Mage to conclude there is a battle of warrens within Haborik, between the Fenner Warren and a hybrid of Otataral and an unknown warren. Felicen informs the Coastal Guard that Haborik is an excommunicated priest and calls him the bane of his own god. Culp and Haborik step away for a word in private. Culp asks the ex-priest if his companions can be trusted. Haborik responds that while Bowden can be trusted as long as their goals align, however Felicen cannot. Upon returning to the group, Culp assures Gessler that Haborik and the Otataral in him will aid them in getting off the island and fighting off the mad wizard. Felicen holds the newcomers with contempt, sneering internally at their worshipping a vulnerable god. Haborik overhears Felicen ask Bowden about a talon amongst his possessions, and his reaction saying, well done, makes it clear to Felicen that the two men share some kind of secret. Bowden does not seem to share Haborik's view of him. Felicen becomes angered at their exclusion, and dreams of the rebellion succeeding in the demise of the Empire with it. An end to repression, an end to the threat of restraint as I set about exacting revenge. She attempts to seduce the Coastal Guard members to gain their favor, but fails, Gessler seeing right through her. She claims spitefully that Haborik will betray them, and that the ex-priest despises them. She wades into the water of the coast, pondering on her need for a reason to reflect something other than hate and contempt. The next day, as they enter the water, they are assaulted by the sorcery of the insane mage in the form of spears. Stormy and Bowden are injured in the attack. When the sorcery ceases, they discern that they are in the mage's warren. Culp looks up to see a tiny figure riding the storm high above. Haborik uses his Fenner ghost hand to heal Stormy's thigh. Culp observes something pass through into Stormy. Bowden, having been injured previously as well, refuses Haborik's aid. A strange, thick, pale blue water is slowly filling the ship's hold. They come across a seemingly abandoned ship which Bowden claims is a pre-imperial Quandroman. They abandon the sinking ripath and swim to the much larger abandoned ship. Upon examination, Bowden concludes that the ship is the Silanda, 
the only ship ever sanctioned to trade with the Tisti Andy. When Quan was overthrown by the Emperor, Salanda never returned. They discovered dozens of bundles containing cleanly severed heads, most of them Tisti Andy as well as a few humans. The heads, however, are still dripping blood and seem fresh. Kulp and Gessler head down the hatch leading to the ore pit, where they find headless corpses manning the oars. They conclude that someone took the ship, beheaded everyone, and then put them to work. They find more bodies in the captain's cabin. The captain's body has been impaled by a spear, and the blood appears wet still after all this time. Heboric believes the bodies to be Tisti Idur, referenced in Gothos's folly as one of the three Tisti groups from another realm. The Idur from the unwelcome union of Mother Dark with the Light. He explains that Tisti Andy considered it a degradation of pure dark, and the source of all their subsequent ills. He also says the spear is a bargast weapon, albeit uncharacteristically large. Culp takes the captain's whistle and gives it to Gessler. Stormy informs them that the insane mage has followed them, and Gessler decides that running is their only option. On a hunch, he blows the whistle. Salanda lurches into motion, operated by their reanimated corpses below deck. Culp shares his concern with Haboric about the latter's healing touch on Stormy, although the man is not showing any adverse reaction as of yet. As the insane mage's storm slowly catches up to them, Felicin contemplates all the magic she has experienced. Fiddler wakes up at the Temple of Shadow and is brought up to speed regarding his healing and recovery by Mappo. After revealing he is aware of Fiddler's goal of reaching Tremorlore, Pusk speaks in riddles, saying Shadowborn prophecies that gutter under the flood, raising ripples in the plunging surface, a river of blood, the flow of words from a hidden heart, all things sundered, spiders in every crook and corner. When Fiddler asks Mappo to confirm the questionable nature of Pust's ramblings, Mappo contests that Fiddler ought to take heed of the priest's every word. Mappo admits that he accompanies Ikarium to keep his search endless, and also informs Fiddler that the pair will be accompanying him, Crocus, and Absalar on their journey to Tremorlore. Fiddler also learns that Pust saved his life, and is unnerved at the implications. When Crocus expresses concern about Absalar, Pust reassures them that the Rope and Shadow Throne have no further interest in possessing Absalar, because of Rake's warning, among other things, and lets it slip that the residue of his skills that remain in her is cause for concern. Fiddler tells Crocus and Absalar that they are searching for Tremorlor, a house of the Azath like the one which grew in Darujistan. Quick Ben believes a connection between these two houses, and hopes to use Tremorlor to travel almost instantaneously to the Azath house in Mala's city, called Deadhouse, which is conveniently only a half-day's sail from Absalar's home. He explains that houses of Azath are rumored to be present on every continent, that they act as lodestones to power, and that Kalanved and Dancer once occupied the Deadhouse in Mala's city. Ascaral Pust delivers a cryptic message before vanishing. A journey to fabled Tremolor, where all truths shall converge with the clarity of unsheathed blades and unveiled fangs, where Acarium shall find his lost past. The once-possessed fisher girl shall find what she does not yet know she seeks, where the lad shall find the price of becoming a man, or perhaps not. 
where the hapless trail shall do whatever he must, and where a weary sapper shall at last receive his emperor's blessing. Oh, yes. He then vanishes in a swath of shadows. Fiddler asks if there is magic in words, and Dakarium says, Magic powerful enough to drive a god to its knees, soldier. Crocus mutters that they have to leave, and everyone agrees. Five days after Ap's battle against the Deivers, she and Kalam stumble across the scenes of an ambush with a trail of Malazan refugees leading away into hostile territory. The demon has recovered from the fight and continues to follow Kalam, locating the survivor's trail. Kalam bluntly tells the demon the survivors aren't their problem. He encounters a camp of bandits falsely claiming to be combatants for the uprising. He hears of Coltane and his refugees. They tell him the rebellion holds all the cities except Arin, mentioning Arin has the Gestal within. The bandit leader threatens to take Kalam's horse, but plays it off as a jest when Kalam refuses to back down, matching the threat with his own. He reluctantly agrees to join the bandits for an attack on a vulnerable camp of Malazan refugees. As the bandits split and ride towards the Malazan camp, their leader, Bordu, suggests that Kalam and he attack from a different direction from the others. After they have broken away, Kalam slits Bordu's throat. He joins the Malazans, who have turned the camp into a trap for the bandits. The impromptu joint force kill the remaining raiders. The survivors are Captain Keneb, his wife Selv, their two children, and her sister Minala. They tell Kalam that they were part of an entire company that left Orbel, escorting refugees. They came across an army and are now the only survivors. Kalam introduces himself and is recognized by Keneb. The captain passes out from a head wound after Kalam gains his trust when he tells them he plans on traveling to Eren to rejoin the Malazan ranks. Kalam and Manala prepare to attack the remaining bandit, who is back at camp guarding food, water, and horses, all resources the group requires. They find seven other bandits have joined the Lone Guard, bringing the bodies of women they had raped and killed with them. In a brutally efficient butchery, Kalam eliminates the eight bandits. Two other dead bandits are also found torn apart, suggesting Apt is responsible for their demise. Keneb tells Kalam that Corbolo Dom leads the army of Odin. Dom was once a fist of the Malazan army who went rogue after marrying a local and executed half of his legion that refused to join him. Dom and the force loyal to him captured Orbel by riding in his allies and commencing slaughter once within. Kalam knows of Dom, having been Whiskey Jack's replacement for a time after Ruraku. Kalam recalls him as an excellent tactician but too bloodthirsty. Lassine seemed to agree and had him replaced by Dujek. Kalam takes charge due to Kneb's questionable state of mind. They ride out of the riverbed, onto the Odin. A wave deposits mud on the deck of the Salanda. The mud transmogrifies into six Lagros Talan Imas, their leader, a bonecaster by the name of Hentos Ilm. The bonecaster commands Kolp to stand aside, referring to, him at, referring to him as Servant of the Chained One, claiming that they are searching for their renegade kin and the Tisti Idur. Kolp tells them that their former quarry is absent and their latter deceased. To Amas confirm this, Hentos Ilm says she doesn't recognize the power in his ghost hand, but that Haborik will forfeit his sanity to his Ototarl power should they fail to vanquish the mage soon. 
Hento's Ilm reveals that the Warren is the Elder Warren of Kerald Merlin, and that Culp's Warren, Meneas, is the child of Merlin. Culp finds this confusing, arguing that Meneas is the Warren of Shadow. She replies that Idur came before Shadow Throne and Cotillion. She touches Aboric and claims that while he is shorn from Fenner, his god still uses him in some capacity, undetermined as of yet. Hentos Ilm kills the insane mage, thus bringing the storm to a halt. However, the Warren is left with a wound, resembling a black legion the size of a moon. It requires a soul to be sealed. The clanless Lagana Breed gives his sword to Stormy and dissembles into dirt, then spirals towards the sky and bridges the wound. Stormy asks Hentos Ilm if the bridging is a painful affair, and she tells him the wound heals around him and that Lagana Breed will feel great pain forever as a result. The rest of the Talon and Mass leave before anyone can ask them for a way out of the Warren. Truth asks if anyone else had seen the Talan Emas carrying a severed head of one of the Idur. Culp runs down to the ore pit and announces that one of the bodies is now dead. Dooker has been on the trail of Coltane's army for three months and decides that Coltane is preparing to cross the river Sakala. He concludes he may never have another chance to catch up with the fist and makes a hazardous dash through rebel army camps to at last reach Coltane's camp. He is escorted by Captain Lull to a briefing with Coltane, Bolt, Captain Chened, Captain Solmar, and the Warlocks. Coltane sets plans for the crossing of the river. Solmar attempts to garner preferential treatment for the nobles. Two nobles, Nethpara and Tumlet, assert themselves in the meeting and demand special treatment, voicing objections about Coltane's plans, which Coltane disregards entirely. Tumlet inquires as to the seemingly disproportionate number of wagons for the wounded, and why the sappers and engineers are working around them. The nobles are ejected from the meeting. Once the meeting is over and most of the attendees dismissed, Coltane asks Stoker of the whereabouts of Culp. Sormo informs Dooker that the Warrens are no longer useful because of the soul taken into Ivers infesting them, but the Warlock knows of the older ways, the likes of which are unknown to Chemist Rillo. Thus the infestation of shapeshifters proves advantageous to the Malazans for the time being. Before Dooker departs for much needed rest, Coltane tells them they'll head for Uberit, a two-month journey and Dooker relays his experiences while excluding his rescue of Haboric. After he is awakened by Corporal List, Dooker relays to Baria Citral of the Red Blades that the Semk tribes complete with sorcerers have joined Rillo's army, the crossing already underway. The battle begins. Dooker and List make their way to a wall to gain them a better perspective from which to observe the clash. They meet the young reincarnated warlock Nether, who departs to confront the Semk sorcerers. They observe another young warlock by the name Nil, raising ancient zombie soldiers from the ground who perished in battles long ago. The undead warriors are then followed by women and their children, the women killing the infants yet again as they had ages ago when they faced inevitable loss. Nil alone sees that it was a clan war of kin killing kin over what is called the Antlered Chair. Nil tells Dooker the Wiccans had done the same until united by Kelenved's contempt for their infighting and feuds. 
The battle increases in intensity as the Malazans are driven back to the river. Dukur is sure that there have been mass drownings and that they'll all be killed due to the river blunting their progress. But unbeknownst to the Imperial historian, the sappers have built a road across the river using the wagons, enabling the Malazans to cross swiftly and easily. One of the engineers, Cuddle, then detonates the road with Rilo's peasant army horde still on it leaving a trench and trapping Kalo's army on one side of the river. The Semkatrit being the only army left to fight. Coltane holds another congregation, where losses are accounted for. The Setril brothers and Redblades among them. Sormo elaborates on the ironic advantage of the Semk god's cruel nature. The Ascendant, unconcerned with the fact the wizards he uses to channel his power and rage are killed in the process, he declares that the advantage will not last. However, Lul announces the news that Ubarid has fallen. The Malazan fleet departed, and there are 10,000 or more refugees fleeing in the direction of Coltane. The capture of the city leaves them no other option but to trek all the way to Aaron. Nether awakes Dukur in the middle of the night and leads him to Sormo, who shows him a cliff of ice. In it is a Semk god entombed by Jagut sorcery. The warlocks have contacted the land spirit and offered them pieces of the Semk's ascendant's flesh and through it its power. Sormo believes that the act is tantamount to mercy of a kind since its undying anger will dissipate, though it will hurt the Semk wizards. Sormo allows the ascendant to escape the ice and it is ripped apart by the spirits. As they return to camp, Nethpara and Tumlit arrive with another noble, Lenestro, they are angry because Coltane conscripted their servants, Tumlet because he is concerned about them, the other two because they have no servants. And that concludes part two of this book. Wow! I think that's the record for the longest recap we've ever done, maybe. That's gotta be. Anyone who's listening is like, wow, they're really like pulling out the stops for these uh, these recaps. We have to. There's yeah, no there's, summarizing you these can't stories. Just like skip over a, a, any nope. of this stuff. And also, I mean, you and I can't talk about every single detail either. So the recap is really nice because it kind of covers up some of the gaps in our conversation because we can't just sit here for seven and a half hours and talk about this one book. Though I could because I we mean, this book, this book was so good. We have so much to talk about. I, I mean, mean like, after we get done with all four episodes, we'll probably have seven hours of content. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we will actually. Yeah. But for this specific book, Whirlwind, wow. Like, I mean, just from the, the beginning, the beginning is so intense with the blood flies. And we talked about that a little bit in the intro. Oh but Oh, man. Dude, I was like itching while reading it. I was like, I'm like itching so bad. It's, it's horrific. It's so much. All the stuff that was going on with Haboric and Felicin and Baden is like, it's like enough for its own book. You know, like oh, just yeah. that by itself, just that one plot line could be a book that I would read. But no, we've got Duiker, Duiker, Diker, Ducker chasing <laughs> after. It, he's chasing after he gets separated from Culp because there's this crazy, like insane mage battle that he barely right, escapes. Awesome. Which is so cool. And then, <laughs> so, but like most of the book, Dooker is chasing after the chain of dogs or Coltane, I should say. Uh, and right when he gets there is this crazy battle and it just keeps getting crazier. Ugh. He's part of like the, the peasant horde is what they're called. And I love that horde is the word used. The horde. As a war leader at that point, you kind of have to like, because you have actual soldiers, but then you have like 40,000, was it no 4,000? It was 4,000. I can't remember the number, yeah. 
I think it was 4,000 like peasants that are that are your horde, kind of your fodder, like the kobold equivalent. And you're kind of faced with a, an interesting predicament, right? Like or choice, I guess. Do you take the time to train them, making them successful soldiers? Or do you not have enough time to make them effective? And it would be better for you to train your existing soldiers better and just leave them as kind of the like but like like bowling bumper lanes almost like the 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 wall you know for your army they just kind of rush in and cause chaos and many of them die i'm sure but you also do some effective chaos making so it's interesting the kind of the approach of that battle you know and like how do you feed them and stuff man it's got to be hell in the camp of the horde oh my gosh I, th- I think we we need to section out an entire part of this podcast episode for the battle at this ford crossing let's uh let's save that for a little bit let's okay, go back okay. let's go back towards the beginning of the chapter a little bit because uh, i know how excited you are to, to talk about tactics so, and this is so good yeah. <laughs> it was amazing it was it was even oh, while right. i was reading it i was like i was like this blocking of this battle is so fantastic that even i understand it i'm terrible with battles tactics and all that stuff it always kind of loses me not this though. Nope. No, I was, is brilliant. I was glued in. But anyway, let's go all the way back to I want to talk about the the section where Culp and Duiker are still together. Uh-huh. Um, when they're in like that coastal town area, they're in that inn. I wanted to, to shout out a little notice that I had. Um so when they're in there, like this this wave of magic like hits the inn. Somebody says, I can't remember, or maybe it's just in I don't know if, I don't even know if somebody says it. The description is like it's this musty, like wet, dank smell of magic. And then later on in this book, uh, Corporal List, I think, mentions also that that's the smell that, like, it's like when you lift up a rock and you can smell it under it. And I don't know if that was like intentional, but I was wondering if you like caught that. Yeah. Well, and a, Warren gets flooded. Right. I don't Why, know does that have something to do with that? I don't know. That? And there's, there's a boat involved, like when that Mappo and Acarium find, like, that gets real confusing fast. I don't, Okay, so yeah, we have so much to talk about, but I just first of all wanted to shout that out because I thought that, I thought that was cool. Uh, but then also, kind of like a little bit after that, um, it gets really dark. It gets really really dark uh, when Durker is going back to his sar, and he sees the Malazans getting impaled. The way they're getting impaled is that there's four spikes and a spike through each shoulder and each thigh, which is just awful. Uh, it's looking like an X, uh, I, as I, opposed I, to a T. Sure, I guess, yeah. Yeah, which means it's like going through their whole body, which is rough, right? Or are they stapled to it? No, they're it's they're being impaled. They slide down it. Oh, yeah, that's what... <laughs> oh, how do you yeah. even survive the entry, man? Okay, well, we won't. We won't. Yeah, we, we don't have to linger too long linger on there. that <laughs> for sure. Um, but man, I, the the image of Duiker like seeing the cape moths like flying into Hisar was so effective. Like, I mean, his like his resolve to kind of like get more involved as uh, with his role i should say totally which is like interesting right because that's probably like a moral thing for him it's like nope i just kind of like um the national geographics you know they have all these stories of like will the baby elephant find his mother and it's like well just go we know where he's at go find but it's like they have kind of a um yeah they have like the code in star trek where it's like the uh they called the the prime directive that's the prime directive directive thank you yeah they have a prime directive equivalent and and so does Ducker. it sounds like but he's like no this is like actual evil that i'm seeing i need yeah. to step up here which was cool i wanted to talk about this real quick though so Ducker has a thought as he's writing towards hisar and seeing all of this horribleness he he has this thought that this army this rebel army is like pretty well organized and much more well put together than than the malazans had predicted they would be um, and some of it's by design. I think that like the 
there had been like rumors of more infighting than there actually was and just like it was like very right there's four cities worth of armies it was very well executed uh whirlwind here um but what Duerker thinks is Lacine should have been more prepared for all of this basically uh she should have taken care of Pornqual when she had the chance and so I wanted to ask you and I you know every time I ask you something until we get to like the seventh book you have to make sure you don't spoil anything but totally uh, I just want to ask you if you if you can answer this without spoiling anything what's up with that like what like I feel like Lacine yeah should have been more on the ball about this and also this guy Pornqual and this Malik, Malik Rel guy, like something is up here. Like something, this isn't, this doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't make sense that Pornqual would drop the ball this hard. I guess I could see maybe Lassine dropping the ball a little bit, having put more faith in Pornqual than she should have. But also she's kind of like the, the top of this pyramid. So uh, I don't know. I wanted to pick your brain about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, so Pornqual dispatches like Malik Rel to deliver his instructions to Coltane. Like come just present yourselves to me and Coltane. It's like, Peace out, Malik Rel. It basically kicks him out of the uh, of the meetings that they have. Can you not answer it without spoiling I, stuff? <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I mean, I can answer a little bit, but it would be spoily, yeah, and I just, don't know yeah. enough, honestly. I don't remember the sure, um, yeah all the juice there because I think it's just something he, to think about for for our listeners yeah. and for readers. Like, what's going on? Like, why is this such a well orchestrated thing? Like, why? Also, I mean, like Coltane is not it's like he's following orders but like also but almost out like out of necessity like as they had to get out of hisar right mm-hmm. uh and like rn just hasn't fallen yet so like is that am i right about that like i mean is it is it he just happens to, like they had already been giving these orders they know porm calls there with the rest of the army that it's a place that hasn't fallen to this rebellion yet. Yeah, so Pornqual basically had, whether it was foresight or whether or not he's in on it, he had the ability to kind of lock his city down, get it under control. Was it really Pornqual? Probably not. It's probably more like Malik Rel influencing Doesn't somehow. Seem like yeah, it. yeah, like it's Pornqual kind of we'll, seems. We'll leave that alone for now, just in pawny. case I'm getting into like too too much of spoiler territory. Um, I don't think I'm remembering more than I should right now. I mean, I don't like, think so. No, but like it just seems very sketchy because um, this is just a it's it's going off kind of without a hitch. So many cities are being sacked. Everything's being taken back. But I mean, you know. It's what happens when empires come in and try to take over lands. The people aren't stoked about it. So, uh, but it's interesting though, also because there are a lot of, uh, you know, like the red blades. Uh, like there are a lot, and just uh, in general, kind of like quite a few of like the common folk, I, I guess you could say, and other soldiers and stuff. Like there are uh, still soldiers from uh, Hisar and other places that are still loyal to the Malazans. They they didn't have to be. And it's just, um, it's a really cool way of like Erickson showing his audience and, you know, us as the readers that we're the ones that make the morality calls with this series. You know, like we, you are the one that has to draw your own lines with, and that's the whole point of these books. It was not the whole point, but it's one of the main points of these books. Major is that, theme. Yeah. There's no good or bad guys. Like every, every side is flawed. Like every faction has its own issues. And you as the reader observing this evolution of this empire and the effects that it's having, have to draw the lines morally where you can. And that's, it makes you, it makes me feel so engaged with the text. Like I'm, I'm hanging on to everything because like 
the way that I'm perceiving like how good or bad something is on like a moral scale really depends on the next development, you know? So I'm totally. right, really have to pay attention to what's going on, but it's frustrating sometimes. Cause I'm like, Tiste air, 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 dude, what, what the hell is that? <laughs> like, I, <laughs> sorry, the total segue. <laughs> uh, there's a really interesting kind of few sentences that Kalam says that I was like, Oh man, I want to talk about this a little bit. Cause it was a good reminder. And it was almost a, exactly what you said. Kalam is um, after he comes across the like small troop of bandits and then he says uh, and he's talking to the the captain of Lee who's leading the like Malazan like family basically that he finds yeah. out there. And um, yeah, they're really just bandits using the flag of shape to like rape and pillage and generally be huge pieces of human waste. I love the name that he gives them. He calls them vultures of violence. Love that. And then he says, uh, and he kind of says it like really casually as if it's kind of just like well known. And I think it's like a widely held opinion of the Malazan people that the way Kalam says it is just like so passingly. And he says he wasn't marching with Dujek. The empire brought peace to the seven cities. Shaikh wants to return to the old ways, tyrants, border wars and slaughter. And it was like, oh, right. Like they still believe in the Malazan empire. Like they just don't like less Because I kind of thought that like the whole I just had in my brain that like. It's hard the, to keep my everybody's favorite. loyalties. Uh, yeah, I just thought they were like anti-Malas like now, but no. they're not. They're just anti-Lassine, and they actually think that the Malazan Empire, uh, and I wanted to ask you what you think is the right move here, because, mm. you know, yeah. uh, in order for them to get freedom in the Seven Cities, a lot of people has to die. Now, the question is not, should Malas Empire have, like, expanded in the first place and taken them over that's already happened the question is whether or not you think that the rebellion is worth it i don't know i mean i've i don't know man i've never been colonized before like i don't know like it's (laughs) and also like i mean that's so that's just so good i'll say right off the bat i mean and i also don't have enough i haven't read this whole series like i'm not seeing the whole landscape here i mean like it seems like like kalam is saying that you know what I mean? Like what you just that, that quote that you just said. That seems totally. to be like his his point of view, not necessarily he's every... from the seven cities, though. Sure. Yeah. You know, and he's like, I, I don't know. I kind of lean towards like Malaz Empire is good for the seven cities once think, they're there. Obviously, know, like know, I'm not pro colonization like, here. I'm just saying, like once they're already there, it's better just keep them maybe well, what a what a what a thing for a colonizing force to say though you know like oh the right. rabble that was here before they were <laughs> there was so much infighting before we came and started murdering everybody you know like, right, like, right. what a what an amazing no one left to murder each other yeah, no no <laughs> like that's it's just that's not that's but weak. like it's weak is sauce. the uprising being led by leaders who truly have the like the the best in mind for the people there or is it just like uh, individuals who see an opportunity to seize power and decide to stir the pot and rally the troops to fight the oppressing force of the Malazan and just take more power for themselves. Like, are they just going to be replaced with another tyrant? You know, I don't know. I don't know. They might just be being manipulated by the powerful questions seduced by prophecies and promises of those. <laughs> I can tell you, I have a feeling that the Malazan empire is not in seven cities to bring peace to seven cities. That is not their mo they're they're an empire they're in the business of expansion they're in the business yeah, that's their propaganda yeah i mean like they're they weren't like they, they weren't like oh time for a little peaceful regime change over here no totally. that's man not... they're really fighting each other yeah, a lot wow, it's like, we better put a stop like to this. they were like, just fighting each other so much we no, decided to bring peace to the land no, no. <laughs> 
ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, that's like a conversation you could have for like hours and hours. And especially like if we want to totally. just like keep it as much contained to this series as we possibly can, uh, I don't think I have enough information yet to really land on either side of that. I mean, I think that that's probably one of the things that this book is trying to present uh, is that question of, you know, like the, the colonizer colonized. Right. I really liked what you said about like everyone's in question as to good or not, because we find groups of individuals on each side that are good that we like, oh, you know, and I then... mean, yeah, like Duiker like rides by some people that are impaling Malazans and they're not stopping. Uh, they're they're killing children. You know, they're killing. It's, it's really bad. It's really, really horrible on yeah. all sides. And I think that this book is doing a very good job at like presenting the, just the nature of like how horrible this situation is for everybody involved. I think that I side more personally. You, you asked me, so I'll just say how I side more personally with the people of seven cities. Uh, I would argue that it's, it's their land and you know, their prerogative. I would too. I just don't know who's leading them. You're right. We don't know enough. But like, I don't think that the, the Malazans are well-intentioned in their expansion into this land. You know what I mean? So no, pure it's, propaganda. It's, it's not, it's yeah, it's, it's just pure, like, well, we'll just come in and do everything our way while also still murdering all of you. So no, I don't. While it's obviously like a justification to gain land and power and resources, it like does seem that the actual result was like a time of peace. I mean, we have a native of the land being like, dang it. A time our, of peace until people are gonna when, you know, well, until like the people decided to kill the people who took them over, right? <laughs> death begets death. Red Rising. To finish that off, I really love when Kalam like goes to that was actually my favorite scene of this whole part was Kalam killing the eight bandits or seven or however many he goes in there. Just oh, so cool. Yeah. That was good to see. He like explains why. Because they're like, that was amazing. And he was just like, actually, it's kind of easier if you're the only one fighting all of them, as long as totally. you're just really fast. Well, he explains group fear. Well, yeah, I, but like I love that line because that's the person that he was explaining it to said, Well, unless they were all like really good with like, uh, tactics like the, the, and he was like yeah you're lucky that they weren't trained that well and he's like yeah i totally was lucky that yeah, they huge risk yeah <laughs> that's so good well he instructs as he leaves he instructs the girl to load the crossbow just in case something goes wrong and she's like how will i know and he grunts your gut <laughs> like what's an answer is that kalam that's like so not helpful do you have any opinions of as to Apt? He's kind of an adjacent character here. What what's going on with him? Apt Why is, is a she? Apt is a Aptorian. Oh, yeah, that's is, right. I'm sorry, demon. I keep forgetting. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a lady demon. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. Uh, what were you asking? Sorry. What is she doing? Why uh, is she like? I know she was provided by yeah, by the Red know. Blade, right? I can't, I can't remember. I think or Shake. Uh, no, Shake, Shake gave Shake him. gave gave uh, Kalam. I'm not really sure. I think I want to keep reading about that. Yeah, I'm not really sure how kind of, that... he's kind of growing on me she is kind of growing on me <laughs> yeah uh i don't know i have another question for you sure so uh, let's go back to culp on this weird ship we've probably got a lot to talk about with the ship uh we're gonna try yeah. to clear up as much as we possibly can for everybody because uh, the ship part is really weird uh it's probably the weirdest part of this entire book so uh real quick this is kind of like a nitpicky question but i, I was just um it just it was like sticking in my brain uh so culp mentions that he thinks that the mage that's following them that kind of like drew them into that warren that is just kind of harassing them he thinks that he's gone that this mage uh, uh has gone insane because of odotaral dust and mm -hmm. maybe this 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 might be i don't know if i'm like missing something here but 
if you've been exposed to enough of this auditorial dust so that it makes you crazy, wouldn't it also be enough to negatively impact your magical abilities? Is that not how auditorial dust works? Like, I, I really don't know. I was confused about that too because I thought it was a magic deadening thing. Like that's Kalam, what I thought too. Yeah, Kalam like uses it a lot in the Gardens of Moon. He doesn't even know about it. He's got it all over his hands and stuff. And like magic attack after magic attack fails. No, Ralic, even Ralic uses it, not Kalam. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Ralic uses it. Duh. Um, just on the assassin train over here. So it's like clearly we've seen it defeat magic, and now it's driving a mad a mage mad who can still use his magic very well. Like not like well enough to put an entire ship into a warrant. Like it's it's really intense magic. So maybe you, I don't know because yeah. maybe a Autotarl dust has something to do with Fenner, the boar god, because Havoric is like covered in it. He's getting darker and darker. They find like the finger of this ginormous statue. What the hell is? Yeah, I, I think we need to keep reading maybe a little bit more. Totally. And they release Fenner. <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I don't want to say like we were going to talk about. In, clip, oh my clip, god, clip. that was so crazy. So like, I know we were going to talk about the boat, the boat, but we should probably talk about this scene too. So for anybody that's uh, wondering what we're talking about here, uh, so Felison, Heberic, and Bodin are are in this kind of like spot, and Heberic like passes out, kind of, and uh, Bodin like takes Heberic's wrist and like presses it against. Heberic's tattoo because he figures out that like one of the like one of the tattoos where it goes on his palm that would like activate I don't I can't remember exactly what the hell happened but anyway a giant, <laughs> giant freaking cloven foot like comes out of the sky and like stomps on the ground and then Felicin like turns over and sees it rising back up and like I think the wording was like it was like too big to like comprehend it was like it was so massive but you can't see it disappears it, in the blue like, haze what above what the hell just happened here like cuz so did Baden kind of like threw Heberic or I guess Heberic kind of like threw Baden like open up a warren yeah okay okay and um, then, yeah so, yeah they did but and that brought Fenner back to this plane but like fenner is like scared like vulnerable it said like it, it's like he's not stoked to be back in this area i was like pretty confused about all of that yeah so maybe it has something i don't i don't know i'm really guessing here but there's a lot of damaged warrens going on perhaps and we don't really understand ascendancy right like what this concept really not even as fully of right means yeah. as of right now and perhaps you know, it seems like everyone who's ascended has their own warren. It's like usually like a baby warren or connected to some other warren of power, but uh, it's like a tree, like an ancestral tree almost. That if you ascend, it kind of seems like you get your own warren. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but it seems like it. And perhaps something's happened to Fenner's warren, hmm. or maybe yeah. it happened for them ripping it open. That sure. like he now is like kind of like without his home or something. Maybe, yeah. I mean, speaking of uh, of weird warrens, let's go back to the boat that Felicin and. Haberick and Baden and uh, Truth and Stormy and Gessler are on uh, with 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 Culp I, with Culp still. Um, so yep. they're in a Warren, but it's like some weird, like forgotten about Warren. It's like some like Warren in some kind of like weird stasis or something. Is, is that yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. They're they're like accidentally pulled in. Oh, I don't. This. I that, I was really trying there. Like this is my second time reading this book, and I was like, "What the hell is happening right now?" And so they get on this other ship. They leave one of their ships behind because it's messed up, and it sinks behind. Them. They get onto this other ship, which is like this really old ship, and they get uh -huh. onto it. But even though it's an old ship, all the bodies are still pretty fresh. 
you know like there's totally. a bunch of dead people and there's a bunch of headless people uh, that are rowing the- on the deck like they leave the seal skin wrapped heads just on the deck like cannonballs i guess what? just hanging what an amazing imagination steven erickson has man like this is just so far beyond like it's just every sentence is just like oh holy shit like that's a thing too oh my god but i wanted to ask you on the boat why did gessler stack the testande heads into a pyramid what was the point of that that's how you store cannonballs okay i don't know he didn't want them rolling all of oh well it briefly mentions that the eyes still look around and the mouths open, though no sound comes out. So perhaps it was like, let's just like limit the amount of outside exposure because that's creepy, I'm <laughs> sure. Just like being watched by these headless things. Was weird. And then Gessler finds this whistle in in the yeah. captain's quarters, I think is where it was. Uh, and then like, it was around the neck of like the head the drum guy or like the head guy maybe did, it was maybe it was the captain quarters i don't know did gessler know that when he blew the whistle it would get them rowing again like what's up he, with this gessler guy he thought so yeah that was a weird scene like that was just it was like a lot of things happened all at once and i was like why is he bl-? like if i found a whistle on this boat i would not blow it like that i would i would not do that especially if, like this is just like some dude he's not like a mage or he doesn't i don't i don't know yeah but they do that because they're still fighting they're they're trying to get away from this mad mage right because the mad um so so uh culp opens his war in Meneus, and they get like because he's got it opened it's and it's Mianus. adjacent Mene- Mene- how do you say it Mianus? not Mianus. okay he opens Mianus because the other guy is around there there's like some rent and <laughs> he gets pulled into like a shadow warren that's like barely just got saved from flooding or maybe it did get flooded i'm not really sure and that's where they find the salanda the boat and the new boat it was drawn into the strange flooded war yeah the salanda yeah and this strange flooded warren is tinged by carald emerlin which is like a parent um <laughs> um warren of Meneus, which is how they were able, like mad mage made some rent or maybe he was i don't know why the rent was there but they get sucked from Culp's like trusted nice i'm here my home warren into this other warren what is the inside of a warren got me man and (laughs) like how does it change i don't know and sometimes somehow they like they end up in ruraku desert too because they like jump out of a warren and they're like back in the desert i don't know but after they get on the salanda the major storm catch up to them and then they're like oh no so they blow the whistle because they're like we need to we need some power to get away yeah but how do they know that i guess the, i guess it makes sense if the whistle was like around i they think put it together i know but it's just like it's sketchy man but i guess if you oh, super like, sketchy you... <laughs> necromantic arts are laying around you and you're yeah. like well i guess well, we're just gonna just use them. i mean the morality whistle. of using it is a little uh, like are these guys still alive they're looking at us <laughs> let's talk a little bit about when this uh this other was it tissy andy or tissy it was a hunting party of Lagros Talana Mass. Lagros Talana Mass. Okay. Excuse yeah, the Lagros is that. one of the My um, yeah. clans. So, and uh, the Talana Mass is a race, I guess. Well, except for one of them, which was clanless, apparently, even though he was yeah. with them. That sucks. Sucks that he gets to hang out, but he's like not technically part of that. Like, but he. So, was that Tool? That was not Tool. No. It was not Tool. Okay. Okay. I do not. I don't believe so. No. He he's Talana Mass, right? Yeah. Tool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, but any, but, but he's also clanless. Right. So I can oh, maybe see it's where... his love interest. <laughs> Two clanless Talons <laughs> just being Let's get back on track and here. in love. Uh, <laughs> so there's like a part where this the kid uh Truth like talks to it. The, okay, let me back up a little bit. <laughs> so this is like a really <laughs> weird scene. 
So <laughs> there's like this weird like black like hole in the Warren, right? Yeah. And they're like, ah, that's bad, right? I don't, I'm so sorry that I'm butchering this. They're yeah, like, no, no, oh, you're right. You're like, right. Oh, that's bad. And so we're gonna send one of there's these a wound. Talon and Mas flooded the Warren. Yeah, do uh-huh. it. But before that happens, the guy, the uh, the the Talon Mas gives Truth his sword. Totally. And what was that all about? So Truth is an a, a he. I think it was Stormy. Does isn't it Stormy? He gives the Does sword. Does he give it to Stormy? I'm, I'm pretty sure he I gives it so. to Truth. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I know it's Stormy that asks him about the pain. Sure. Because one of them pulls him aside. Someone does get the sword. I mean, you might be right. The flint sword. Um, but someone asks him about the pain, <laughs> and that's what we learn. Kind of. Okay. 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 It's just so funny. Uh, so, uh, Lagana Breed is the Talanamas we're talking about, the clanless Talanamas we're talking about. Lagana Breed was on the move. All eyes followed him as he strode to the stern castle steps, ascended, and stood before Stormy. The sacred, uh, the scarred veteran did not recoil. Well, the Marine muttered, This is as close as I've ever been. His grin was sickly. Once is enough. The Talanamas raised his gray flint sword. Hold it. Gessler growled, if you need a soul to stop her that wound, use mine. Lagana Breed's head pivoted. Gessler's jaw cr- clenched. He nodded. Insufficient. <laughs> and does Ilm pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, no, that guy's not good enough. Or no, excuse me, no. the, uh, the, the lady Talanama said, that's not, Hentos Ilm said, it's not good enough. And then Lagana Breed faced Stormy again. I'm the last of my clan, he rumbled. Leek, Shane shall end this weapon is our memory carry it mortal learn its weight stone ever thirsts for blood he offered the marine the four foot long sword so you're right he did give it to stormy sorry uh, okay. not, not truth uh, but what, yeah, i know what i'm glad we that? got to the bottom of that so what he's doing is and why he can't like order anyone to go because it, he's he's basically giving himself an infinite punishment of because this the in order to yeah. seal the warren you can't actually seal it he's like a like a pearl that builds things around him that will close the rent and so he basically sacrifices himself and says like i'm not going to need my sword anymore i'll be in pain forever being the band-aid for this warren so he sacrifices himself gives his sword which i'm really curious as to like why he gave it to stormy and how cool is this sword like flint starting fires forever for sure (laughs) but i'm not really sure curious to know more about that yeah that was a really cool scene i mean i felt bad for the, the Talana Mass and it's funny the Talana Mass have such a cold view of everything because yeah, the their that lives the are so shrugging long. over and over again they're like is it gonna yeah, hurt like, and mm. they were just like I don't know whatever what does mm, hurt mean yeah, like I don't know like what do you we've been hurting for thousands of years like we're, we're dust people like I don't know what to tell you man like we have a whole totally. different idea of what pain is than you do so uh wow yeah was the Nashant the mages the mad mages warrant Warren, yeah, excuse know. me, because there's this word yeah. the Nashant that I read a bunch of times, and like yeah. they keep getting pulled into the Nashant. I think it was like this Maybe. weird Warren, and then they go from there into the Carol de Emmer Lane, and then because the Salon is drawn into Carol Dome, God, yeah, Lane, which is it's like, like a this whole other thing. Yeah, and it's man, not even really Kimmer, it's not even Carald Emmerlane. It's tinged <laughs> Carald Emmerlane. So what does that even mean? I don't know. And what sucks is like the the people the Talana Mass I feel like they're they're so old that when like mere mortals like interact with them they're just like I don't even have time for you right now like I just I don't even because right, they're like how do we get out of here 
Yeah, and they're just like, we have, just peace we're, out. We're, we're so wise. Like you, you were nothing to us. You know, you're just like little ants with like 24 hour life cycles. We don't care. You know, totally. Um, so I like it whenever the Talana masks come up. Me too, and it adds like. It, I mean, like every under every rock, there's something that adds to this, like the depth of off pageiness that yeah, this world has. But like, I don't really understand. Obviously, I don't really understand the Warren situation. <laughs> and it's mentioned the wound is like that was flooding the Warren is sealed. So like problems stopped, but they're the, still there. Yeah, like the immediate problem of it being continuously being flooded is resolved. But like. It still has they still have a flooded warrant and that still remains. They mentioned that like they can travel over water, but they can't find their ships unless it's on land now. Yeah, I was really confused about that whole thing. Like, I don't I really know, get it. I, I think that was just, <laughs> I mean, I was really satisfied with that scene, even though I was really confused about it. It's just funny how that works. Um, totally. I also I, love that the baddie was like, never get the name. Just some random thing that's crazy. I think uh, Colt senses that it's a woman. The uh, the maid's chasing after them. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so that's about all I'm... the information we've got. I don't know who that could possibly be. Uh, maybe somebody we've never seen before. Let's shift over a little bit to Fiddler, Absalar, Crocus. Uh, man, the scene in, I think it's chapter seven when Fiddler and company are riding through the desert and they can hear soul taken and divers and shapeshifters fighting all around them, but they can't see anything. And then totally. there's a quote here that says, he saw a massive shape loom into view, then vanish again as quickly. It seemed to have leopards riding its shoulders. <laughs> yeah. Can then, you imagine just like so outgunned? And then <laughs> like the way that Absalar like Legolas's her way up onto that horse and slits that guy's throat. Oh, so badass. And then she, I didn't even think of the Legolas and oh, yeah, Legolas like, like, like reference. Of course she does. Uh, and then Ollie Fawn's that to, for just sure. To top all of it off, like how how absolutely chaotic and amazing that scene is and then topping it off with like fiddler getting his ankle shattered breaking ribs there's explosions and then our boys mapo and Acarium, show up our boys he's <laughs> like you want to risk there under my protection like Acarium, <laughs> oh when he like God, puts his foot so down cool. papa Acarium is a force to be reckoned oh, with man, man I, I love I was, it i forgot that that uh our, our boys come up our boys yep. show up uh, right in the nick of time, and I just love that so much. Yeah, I think the Fiddler, Absolar, Crocus parts might have been one of my favorite parts of the book. I, I think the the Duiker Coltane stuff is my favorite for sure, and we're gonna get totally, to that pretty soon. Totally. But I think that um, the Mapo and Acarium stuff, I like Mapo and Acarium's kind of dynamic, and I like the kind of mystery that's building. I will say that the the parts of them, and I think it's Tessum or wherever they're at with um Iskarl Pust is pretty boring. It's pretty boring. It's, pretty boring. Like, it's like and I know that it's interesting. Iskarl Pust is exhausting. I, I really appreciate the scenes, you know, but like also it's just there's so much like weird rambling stuff and uh, uh, like between the stuff that Iskarl Pust is just like saying that I know is kind of important but I don't understand any of it. That and then like Mappo like thinking about stuff that happened like centuries ago, which I have no context for it. It's just all of that and then like the cryptic conversations that him and Akariam are having and like the weird stuff that they're finding that doesn't make any sense it's just like okay like uh, i'm glad the chapters are i'm glad the the sections i should say are kind of short you know totally 
Iskarlpust, there's like one redeeming quality about him. It is occasionally when he talks to himself, he like reveals a bunch of things about the storylines. Like that one paragraph where he's like, a journey to fabled Tremendal, where all truths shall converge with the clarity of world, whatever. Yeah. yeah, and then he gives everyone, he's like, where Karium shall find his lost past. Once possessed fisher girl shall find what she has, uh, what she does not know she seeks. The lad shall find the price of becoming a man, or perhaps not. The hapless trail shall do whatever he must, and a weary sapper shall at once receive his emperor's blessing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. But it was nice because I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. That's what kind of like everyone's motivations is. That was a nice summary. Thank you, Pust. Sure. But everything else that he does yeah. is just ridiculous, you know? Like, I don't think there's ever been someone who needed to be like punched in the face like more than a Scarl <laughs> Pust, you know? I like the part in the book before this where he's like, you must find my broom. <laughs> and Akari yeah, just like, I don't, can't remember actually. Uh, I don't know. Either. What about the ship? What did you think about the ship that they found? The... It was like this ship okay. that like obviously hasn't rotted through or anything. It's like a fairly decent condition ship. Like it's in a cave in the middle of the desert. Like Right, and that's like in know? the cave that Iskarl Pust is like housed up in, right? In that whole like fortress area that he, we yeah. find him originally. Yeah, yeah cool. it's like in their basement or something. I I must have been like doing the dishes or maybe got a phone call or something, but I have like a blank in my memory as to like them finding the ship and then leaving. Um, what what happens there? Do you can you fill in that gap for me? Well, they uh, Escarl Puss tells them that they need to that they need to leave uh, to go. They have like a conversation about the resurrection of Shaikh and okay. um, and Escarl Puss is like, you guys need to go do that. And Akariam's like down. He wants to go do it, but Mapo's kind of like ah, like don't you want to do other stuff, man? <laughs> like, <laughs> wouldn't it be cool if we did something that's not that, Aquarium? Because uh, I'm really worried that if, if we do that, then you're going to remember all the, the stuff you're not supposed to remember. So that was kind of that conversation. And then once they hook up with Felsen and Heberich and Baden, I'm pretty sure Escarlpus mm -hmm. is like, okay, um, Tremolor. But I think that uh, Fiddler had already... Excuse me. They don't hook up with Felsen and Heberich and Bada. They hook up with Fiddler, Absalar, and Crocus. My bad. Totally my bad. But once, but Fiddler had already had the idea of going to Tremolor in the heart of Raraku, because uh, tell me if I'm Portal. getting this right. Yeah, he wants Save to find time. an Azeth house so that they can portal to Malaz City. That's basically why. Totally. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I was just. It seems like quite the leap, though. I think it's his only option. There's like I wrote. I went back and read it because like there's there's a part where they're like it's pretty, I I really like Fiddler a lot. Fiddler's becoming Me one too. of my favorite characters because he's just, he's so honest with his feelings about everything. I really really enjoy the way he thinks about things because they're kind of in the desert and Fiddler's just like okay, so we could go to the Penpots Odin, but that'd be kind of like right where we left off. It's kind of not a good <laughs> spot to go. And then there's like these growl after us, so we can't go that way, obviously. Uh, so what if we just went into like the heart of Raraku because that's where Tremolor is. And like quick Ben said something about an Azath house. And that's probably the only way we're going to get out of here. It does seem like a long shot, but it's also it's like, am I not even open to them? Right? No. And also it might not even be there. I mean, like just cause quick Ben like mentioned it, you know what I mean? Totally. Like, there's no real reason for him to like put all of his faith in it being there. But I think that once it's Carl Pust is like, Trevador. <laughs> then, <laughs> then maybe Fiddler's like, whoa. He's like, oh, okay. Multiple sources, though, albeit a not very reliable one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I want to see more of uh, Mapo and Akarium. I hope that they're in more books and more volumes of this series, too. They've been uh, around for a long time. So they hopefully. Really have, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that the, 
those chapters are probably gonna i hope to get more interesting since we have like a bigger kind of like fellowship i guess for lack of totally, a word, totally. more people yeah we, we totally have a weird ass yeah, fellowship like, like, going on yeah like fiddler absolar crocus mapo and Acarium. like i'm down for those chapters now all right so i think now we could probably now that we've covered culp and the the boat situation which i mean i think we we probably just barely scratched the surface but we tried our Man, best with that what a um, convergence Oh, do you want to? I do want to shout out this other funny line. There's a there's two lines that I really want to talk about real quick, and then we're gonna okay. move on to Duerker, if that's cool with you. Because I think well, let's go Felicent. I want some. I want to oh, talk about shit. Felicent. We got to talk about yeah. Felicent too. Okay, so totally. a couple lines here, then we'll go to Felicent, and then we're gonna talk about okay. Duerker and and Coltane and stuff. Uh, one of the lines I really liked uh, when Crocus and Fiddler and Absalar are in the middle of the desert, and they see like this giant freaking sandstorm out there, and Crocus <laughs> is like, "Uh, I thought the whirlwind was like more of a metaphorical thing." <laughs> Me just, too, oh, man. Just I'm kind of with so you. Fiddler's just like, oh man, <laughs> this fucking guy. <laughs> uh, he doesn't know anything. Um, okay, so that was really funny. And then also, this isn't really as funny, but um, I just really like this. It was actually very close to the scene that you were talking about with Kalam when he kind of hooks up with that uh, like straggler family with like the one injured guy, and um, they're just kind of they're not in great shape. And Kalam's with them now. The only survivors from the regiment. One of the kids says. Uh, the older boy, Kesson, spoke up. Can you teach me how to fight like that, sir? Mm. Kalam grunted. I expect your father has a better life in mind for you, lad. Fighting is for people who fail at everything else. I really Man, like that a lot. Uh, coming from Kalam, too. I mean, like, and I feel like a lot of the bridge burners would probably share that sentiment. They, I feel like they kind of do look at themselves like like a big pack of losers. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they, they really just, there's never any moments where they're like, yeah, we're the bridge burners. You know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. like, they really don't have that vibe at all. Like, it's very much like this was the last place any of us wanted to be, but now we're here together. And like, yes, we have a certain kind of like uh camaraderie and there's a certain brotherhood here, but also like, this is terrible. Is our we, leader. We it. Like we hated it before Lassine was the leader. Now we hate it even right. more. Like fighting is the absolute worst thing. And then, you know, like uh, this other guy, uh, Kineb, like chimes in and he's like, fighting isn't the same as soldiering. And I feel like Kalam is kind of like totally uh, just to kind of like smooth the waters a little bit. Cause like, right, right. Cause the guy's like, well, you're hurting my honor. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I mean, with soldiering comes fighting, you know? Uh, so, uh, but then, I mean, it kind of raises the question. I think it's kind of raised in that uh, some somewhat through that conversation of just kind of like, well, there are there like good reasons to fight. You know, you're like defending people. He mentions soldiering being all about defense, but like, I don't, that seems like half of it to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, on like what just... side you're on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's something that Colin probably kept to himself. He's like, oh, yeah, you're. Are you doing soldiering when you're colonizing and murdering a bunch of people? Like, I think Kalam has been in enough awful situations to kind of realize that, like, like there is no dirty moves in a street fight. Like, there's no honor in in any fight. You know, if you're in a fight and on in a bar and you like punch someone in the nuts and someone's like, "There's no honor." Like, well, you can win and the other guy can have the honor. You know, it's like Kalam knows that the end of a fight isn't. It's not about honor. And at the end of the day, they're all kind of being used by people that have not their best intentions to just bring about suffering. And I really just think that the bridge burners are kind of in it for each other. You know, it's like a brotherhood, like you said, kind of with the exception of quick Ben and some of the mysterious ones that have some other ulterior motives. Let's, uh, let's move right over to Felison here. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I mean, the pill. it was rough reading those chapters for sure. Really she is like 15 going on 16 and um, a lot of really horrible, horrible things are happening to her. 
part of it's really compelling because I love a good revenge story, you know, and like mm-hmm. from a narrative point of view, like piling on reasons for revenge is a okay with me, but also the reasons for the revenge are really difficult to read and really, I mean, it's just rough. I mean, cause she's, she, she doesn't, she thinks horrible things about herself. She's basically just ready to give up and die, uh, which is really difficult to read obviously. And then also the people that she's with, are treating her really horribly too, but then also she's kind of treating them really horribly. And it's just like this big, like back and forth energy exchange of just terrible things going on. I mean, you think Bowden and Naboric are treating her bad though? I think that they're, I think they're reacting to her terribleness. I don't know. I mean, like they're definitely said some things that like are like, like, Bowden only sleeps with her just to like prove that she's a whore. You know what I mean? Totally. Okay, Bowden maybe doesn't have the best intentions. <laughs> That's pretty horrible. And then like even she's it's super there's bad. There's even yeah. a point where she's like, I made all these sacrifices for you guys. And then Bowden's like, well, those didn't really mean anything because we actually got everything we needed from these uh, Dacia guards. And it's like Bowden, like she believed that she was sacrificed. You could at least let her have that. But was she, if, if you were in their shoes and after she's treated you the way that she, I mean, she's like her basically her only mission in life is to like tear them down emotionally. She's like in her brain. We get inside no, of her brain. Right. Her thinking, you are and she's right just like, that. Yeah. I'm losing ammunition to tear down no, Haboric, which is like, to. No, she like literally yeah. wants to hurt Haboric. I don't know if she totally. like really wants to hurt Baden as much as she for some reason really wants to hurt Haboric. I think it's because Haboric, while they were in the Odotaro mines, um, when she because I think that for a little bit, Felison really believed that she was putting her body through what she was putting it through for Heberick and Bowden, right? Right, And if, right. if that somehow did kind of shift into her just wanting drugs and wanting company, that's another thing too. But like, I think that there was a little bit of overlap there where she really believed that she was helping and Heberick was like, you're a drunk whore. You know what I mean? So right. I think that that was kind of the instigator to where she was like, okay, well, I just want to tear this guy down now. You know, because like Heberick say what you want about uh, Felicin, but Heberick did not need to talk to her like that when they were in the situation that they were like, what else was she supposed to do? They both fall asleep, like hating her sister for turning her into a drunk, drug addicted whore. That's a good point too. Yeah. I like mean, this their is words. ultimately all divorce fault, but totally. Uh, yeah. I think, I think you nailed it. You, you were kind of like circling this. Um, and I, and I think you just nailed it, which is, they're the only ones in her life now that knew her before that knows of the downfall, right? The other people just right, know her yeah. as what she is now. So they see what she could have been and she knows what she could have been. And she's kind of like, she wants to eliminate and cut out Maybe, all of that. Yeah, I didn't think about it's it like painful. That. It's like, it's yeah. like a self-preservation instinct almost, you know, like, and she's a teenager. She's a traumatized teenager. I mean, like, I, I think she was a noble, rich girl. Yeah. Like I saw a couple takes online that were like, I hate Felicent. She's such a bitch. And it's like, Whoa, she is a you? Bitch, yeah. well, yeah, but like, I mean, like, think about the circumstances. I mean, like anybody would be horrible in these circumstances. I yeah, mean, but like, Bowden's like, like, we're all in this together. Like it or you can leave us what we want. But in the desert and she's like, don't give Haboric the water. Like she is awful. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm, believe me, I'm not contesting that she's being terrible. She <laughs> is. But like, also, she's 15, super traumatized like i'm willing to i'm willing to give phyllis in a lot of uh credit rope here for, yeah for, totally, you know what i mean totally. like it's me it, too <laughs> personally me too but yeah i mean uh she, I mean, she is, just tried to kill bowden at one point, yeah she tries to kill bowden really messed up tries to uh just completely dismantle Heberick. and there's even a part where um 
I can't remember the exact wording of it, but they're on the boat and the and the Talana masks show up and uh, uh, there's a part where um Heberich mentioned something about Fainer, the the boar god, and then the Talana mass is like Oh yeah, like you were one of his, but he doesn't really care about you anymore. You're like not really useful. And <laughs> Havork is just like shit. <laughs> that was like my that was like my thing. Yeah, like that was like my whole thing. Um, but go on. And she was... like laughs. So well, there's a really interesting thing that because Felicin is just oh, she goes over to Bowden, who's like not really caring about Talana Mass, and she goes over to try like poke him and like make fun of him or something. And Oh, I know what you're talking about. In yeah. my notes, I say at the height of her being a pill phase on the Warren ship, um, he says, you set every notion in stone, lass. No wonder people always surprise you, which I thought was just a great line. And then he says, I think I know exactly what line you're going to do, because I that's think I, so yeah, great. I think I um, he says, OK, where is it? I got it. You ever think that maybe what you are is what's trapping you inside, whatever it is you're trapped inside. And she says, I'm not following you. And he responds, oh, yes, you are, lass. So what do you think that means? Man, oh, I have the, my, my, my paragraph literally ends with, Evan, what do you think Bowden meant oh, okay. when he said this? <laughs> I mean, okay, so I think he means that you're following in my footsteps. I have sold my soul to the devil, and I know what this process looks like, and I know what it feels like. And you're following right behind, and let me tell you, there's certain doors that can't be closed. There's certain lines that you cross that you can't uncross. Bowden clearly has a troubled and sorted past um, and is more, again, uh, a very recurring theme, more than he appears to be. I, I I dig that. I mean, I think my my interpretation of it is like pretty pretty in line with yours. I mean, I think maybe um, you know he's saying maybe what you are. Those are pretty key words, mm -hmm. and I think maybe what he's trying to say is like, have you ever thought that maybe you're you're like this and you're never going to change? You know what I mean? Like like have you ever thought that maybe you know, like whatever whatever journey you think you're on is not the one you th that you're actually on. You know what I mean? Oh, like you're, that you're actually you're just horrible. Like you're <laughs> oh rough, like, dude, rough. Like you're whatever because it's like whatever you are, or maybe what you are is what's trapping you inside whatever you're trapped inside. So like, whatever it is you're or trapped maybe inside. I could it could also mean like she's trapped inside hell, or it could mean that like she's she's the one getting in front of her own progression. You know, like it's you're trapping yourself by your own nature from getting outside of yourself. Yeah. Oh, that, that's a good commentary. I like that. Yeah. Because I mean, I think, you're, I think you might be sorry not to interrupt you, but I think that you no, might no, be good. a little bit more right about that because she says, I'm not following you. And then he kind of turns that language around and says, yes, you are following me. So totally. I think that's what I think it lines up with what you were saying. But yeah, I mean, I, I read that and I really, really like that quote a lot. But it might be hope, though. Like you are following, but yeah. like if you can just realize that like you, what you're doing right now is a defense mechanism trying trying to just make the whole world your enemy because it has treated you that way. And like it's kind of protecting her. So it's like that's the thing that's inside. And then she's trapped inside the situation of just awfulness, you know, and so it's like a maybe the trap is like a, a defensive wall. And also. Baden and Heberich are obviously up to something with regard to Felicin, right? Like, there's like a reason why they're really? like keeping her. I mean, that's how I look at it. I mean, like, they keep having like these like weird conversations just to themselves. Like, why would well, they just, just they don't trust her? They don't want her in on the group because she's going to spill everything to Bethel or whatever. But like, why would they even bring her with them? she's been with them from the beginning and they know that she at least tried okay. you know whether or not it was her i think i think they feel some I sort of like i think they're like kinship I and mean, she finds a talon in uh Baden's bag maybe 
Is Baden a claw? Maybe. Because wasn't that what the claw was called before Lassine? They were called the Talon? Yeah, I think so. Maybe. I can't speak here. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, I think maybe, um, yeah, we'll see what's going on with Felsen and, and all of them. But yeah, uh, I I wholeheartedly really disagree with this notion that like Felsen is just kind of like this horrible, like irredeemable person. Like, I mean, I just think... No, I just want to set it straight. Like she's a she's a traumatized teenager, and she has some really dark thoughts. And I think she, she's totally. like easily one of the most compelling characters in this book. Like, look how awful Justin Bieber was, and he was like literally given everything. You know, it's like she had everything taken cool. from her. I know. I've heard I know. he's so, pretty you know, cool now. Like, dude, yeah. he, he's, I've seen <laughs> yeah. some documentaries, and like, hey, you know, he seems like a pretty, he seems pretty cool, pretty guy. legit guy. I would hang out, I would hang with, with him. Bieber. Hey. Well, <laughs> Justin, um, we know you're listening uh, to our second episode for uh, volume two of Malazan. Absolutely, dude. Oh, he loves appreciate Malazan. You. Appreciate you. Appreciate you and your your voice, man. What a voice of an angel. Have you seen that <laughs> video where he's like drunk and he's just slaying it? And he's like, he's like, can hardly stand <laughs> up and he's just it. singing it. That's great. Okay, okay so Do oh, oh, before we move on from Felison, uh, give me sorry, a Felison no. prediction. A Felison prediction. You think, yeah, I think she's going to be resuscitated. I don't remember, honestly. <laughs> Redeemed, Redeemed um, thank you. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think. I, I can't imagine like really I hope that we see her take Tavor down. That's what I want. Like I, I don't know oh, yeah. how exactly we're gonna get there. I don't know how she's gonna get to Unta. I don't know what they're gonna do. I don't know what's gonna happen in the next I forgot like what even happens in the next couple of cha- of uh books. Me too. I mean they know about Tamerlin, right? So maybe they'll all make their way to the sh- Tremolor. Tremolor, <laughs> whatever. Like Tamerlin. Dude, I see the T in my notes and I just go for it, bro. <laughs> Full commitment. Oh no, no, God. you're you're not wrong. There's so many Remember words. Remember the name um, of the thing. Yeah, it's the it's like the <laughs> mythical Azath house. <laughs> it's cool. It's just thousands of people listening to this. Thousands of people who love me and totally. forgive a slip of a slip of the tongue from time to time. <laughs> um, yeah, I think maybe there'll be a convergence like there was on the boat, uh, maybe at this Azath house. And uh, though I can't oh, hardly yeah. see the Azath house letting, well, maybe it'll heal her. I don't know. There's like healing quality. I don't know. There's some really interesting things in her future. That's for sure. Let's move on to Duiker and Coltane and all this stuff going on at this Ford. And then we should wrap it up because this is getting to be a pretty long episode. Uh, it absolutely is. We need to talk about all of this, though. We definitely do. And I want to start on the character of Duker. Yeah. How do you say it? Because it's way cooler than me. I say Duiker. Duiker. That's so much I, better. I, that's just my way of doing it. Sorry if it's wrong. I like Duiker much better than Ducker. That just sounds like what? Like it's ridiculous. Okay. So Duiker is a really, really, really cool character from the perspective of like a storyteller like i think steven erickson writing him in was extremely important to the reader's understanding properly of this story so he's a historian which is like already a really cool filter to see the events taking place around him through right it's a much more complete he has history and can fill in events for us um he's not just seeing an event and its happenings but he's understanding and by doing so, helping us, the reader, to understand the event through his detailed and trained, like actual historian trained eye. And so we get to kind of understand how this event fits in and affects the world and it's happening in the larger sense. So the timeline through which like the soldier living day to day sees this, like if we were just seeing this fight through even Coltane's eyes. It's not the full picture that Duiker gives us. And so 
he gives us this lens of just like the grand strategy. This, I mean, even when he's watching the fights, right? What does he do? He finds the best position and then we kind of get to see it unfolding in front yeah. of him. Yeah. And he understands like all the power players, the machinations and the influences at play here. So I think he's a super clever ad- uh, addition to the story. And he helps us understand the like exotic and like drive and skill that Coltane leads the army with. It's kind of like um, in Star Trek when whenever there's like a real bad baddie, they immediately take out Worf, the head of security, who's like the biggest, baddest dude on the ship. And by doing so, they tell the audience like. This this baddie is super bad and we get to see how Coltane differs and leads his army differently than like a lot of the other empires high fists and we get to not only see what he's doing and be like yeah he's really cool but we get to see it as compared to his peers like other high fists because Dewiker is an, a historian and knows about the actions and so he kind of I don't know he really gives us this perspective that allows us to see the brilliance of Coltane I really think that Dewiker's inclusion in the story is like just so we can properly understand how awesome Coltane is yeah, there's multiple parts where, uh, you know, Coltane or Corporal List, uh, like kind of while this battle's going on or right before it, say that uh, High Mage Chemist Rello, who is kind of like commanding the the armies that are kind of harassing uh, Coltane's refugees and, and army and stuff, uh, is really predictable. Right. He's a vanilla. <laughs> Even though Duerker has been told this, like he hasn't been with Coltane and company this whole time so he's actually like a really amazing point of view for us i'm agreeing with you he's such an amazing point of view because like he kind of shows up after the fact with the reader we haven't seen any of what's been going on but even corporal list is like dude you haven't been here this whole time you have no idea how awesome this guy colt is right. just wait you know and so uh to that point i wanted to ask you uh because i think i'm i'm right about this but i wanted to kind of bounce it off of you so there's this part before the formal battle that's that kind of happens uh, if you wanted to call it a battle I would call it quite a few skirmishes, quite a few skirmishes happening at the same time. But anyway, totally. uh, it's a madhouse. There's, there's this conversation that happens where the nobles walk in, and one of the nobles <laughs> is like, "Oh, we, please, like we we're so important. You need to let us go. Maybe we could split everything up so that the you know, like the wounded. that was like horrible. <laughs> I know. But then uh, Tumlet, one of the other nobles, says, "I don't really care. I'm just kind of like curious, like." why are there there we started out with this many wounded and we only have like this small skirmish but now there's like this many wounded that seems disproportionate to the skirmish that we had also there's sappers that are all over this these wagons and stuff like what's going on with all that and then coltane is just like next question like don't worry about it you know like we're not like i'm not telling yep. anybody anything that's no going leaks on here in my ship. nope nope no <laughs> no leaks in my <laughs> ship and then we find out later through duiker who still, after all of this, because why would he? He doesn't have really much faith in all of this. He's like, he, he, there's like a couple parts where he's like, all right, here it comes. Like, this is where it's we all going to collapse and like we're all we going to die. Yeah. yeah. And he's proven wrong that, you know, they built a road. They, <laughs> the Sapphires built a freaking road uh, yeah. for any, because like the whole time he's like, oh my God, they're all drowning. Like, it's just, this is pure chaos. Like, there's no way they're all getting across that easily. Like, this is just thousands and thousands of people drowning. This is the worst. And then everybody got over just fine. And not only that, Coltane, I'm just kind of explaining, even though you've already oh, heard this the is recap. So cool. Yeah, no, I love this. Keep going, keep going. But like, but like, like, so Duker's like riding away because he's like, I know exactly what to do. And then Coltane and all of his riders come and it's cavalry charge. And then he has to like kind of turn around with them with Corporal List. And so 
they are cavalry charging and it's explained that it's like a knife going into the side of a whale and just as effective uh so not very effective at all but and then Duerker's like oh this is the worst this is so stupid and then they like do what's called like a it was like a saber slash or whatever they called it and totally. like they just like hit the flank really hard as they were turning you know and then while another force came across and like hit them from the front and then they all went over and then blew up the, the fucking river like behind. stirs the pot and then seals oh the my deal gosh. so cool so what's happening is i think duker says it's like a dagger strike initially the cavalry charge because cavalry can go way into a like a, a ground troop right but once they're in there like the real power behind the cavalry is like the momentum yeah. right you're on the horse like if you're just a horse surrounded by soldiers like unable to move your horse is probably gonna freak out you're gonna be pulled down gonna you're dead right. yeah so like a dagger is kind of like a suicide move into this like knot of people. What are you doing? But he doesn't know that he has like the mobility to do the saber strike. And if you imagine like a, like, I don't know, a ping pong ball or something, or maybe something better that you can shave like a, like an orange. And as opposed to like sticking something into it, you just shave off a little chunk. That's what he's doing on the outside so of the cool. army, which of course just like also going across chaos. the river. You know what right, I mean? Right, while like, running across yeah, the river. Yeah. Oh, so freaking cool. Genghis Khan, back in the day, was fighting um, one of the Shah's armies. And the Shah had accumulated, it was like rumored, like millions of men, the big, biggest army that had ever been like collected by one person. But it was so huge. He, I mean, he outnumbered Genghis Khan like a thousand to one. He had elephants like way, 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 way outgunned was Genghis. And what Genghis Khan did was exactly what... Uh, um, Coltane did here as opposed to like taking his you know because he had he had um, soldiers his whole army was cavalry and so as opposed to like charging into the middle of this huge mass of men Genghis Khan would just take like little um, I forget what they were called but they would take like little legions like hundred cavalry and they would basically like imagine little worms around a big amoeba in the middle they would basically like dip in and out as they rode around this army and it just drove all of the people inside that like chaos happens like chaos is like the best weapon i feel like to defeat a large group of people even kalam says it. you know if you can just keep them on their on their heels like afraid you can take out eight people with one of you who's very driven and you don't have to organize with anybody else you know and uh Genghis Khan defeats this huge army and oh man one of the coolest things he does he sacrifices some of his men to actually do the dagger strike to anger the elephants in the middle because the Shah was protecting them because they were like his most beloved troops and he gets his soldiers to just like pinprick the elephants legs with arrows not trying to kill them and he sends them on a rampage and like takes out tons of the other guy's army it was super super awesome uh historical battle and that's very similar to what coltane did without the elephants, without the elephants. <laughs> no elephants unfortunately yeah i mean uh coltane as good of a leader as he is also though yeah i mean like they've won this little this little situation you know at the cost of quite a few people again but uh you know such as the nature of these kind of situations but also they find out that the city that they were headed towards has fallen there are now more refugees headed for them like and and they're it's not like it's not like these mages are going to give up it's not like um rello is going to give up you know the uh, the semk tribes and uh the hisar Sialk, peasant horde the tithansi like they're not giving up like they're going to keep coming after all right like the loss of shike did nothing uh, no, and maybe Shaikh might even be resurrected. <laughs> so I feel like that's that probably going to happen. Like, yeah. like it's kind of hinted at. <laughs> it's funny because like Coltane kind of gives me this impression of somebody who's like everything. He's like he's like a step ahead of everything that's that's happening. You know? Yeah. 
it's really really awesome I wish that we had some Coltane point of view chapters, but I know why we don't. I get it because I think that Malazan is supposed to be told from people on the sidelines. Like, I, I think that's the whole, like, we don't get Whiskey Jack. We know. Yeah, we do. What am I saying? We don't get Whiskey. We do get Whiskey Jack. But Whiskey Jack is kind of forced to the sidelines. Yeah. He's not high fist anymore, you know? Yeah. We don't get uh, any one arm. I would like some Dujek one arm. Uh, we, yeah, we, yeah, I mean, like we do get some Lorne. Um, in the last book, but you're right in that it seems we kind of get like power adjacent. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah I like Duiker a lot. I liked uh, List a lot actually. List was pretty cool. I liked that guy. Yeah, having him around was pretty neat because he was very like he seemed nervous, but also like really confident in Coltane and just like happy to be there and just like witnessing yeah, yeah. witnessing the the majesty that is Coltane and just how brilliant this guy is. What do you think of Wiccan's Sorno? I, th- I think his name was Sorno, Ooh, right? Like his like, kids, kid like, didn't reincarnated like that. something. Not a big yeah, fan. Man. That was creepy as hell. I did creepy. Man, like magic, like weird kids. I just—it's always creepy uh, to no, me. Like, no. I don't, I'm not saying kids are creepy. I really like kids, but if they're if I their like eyes it. are like all black and like they're saying they're into weird, necromancer magic, yeah, yeah, yeah like no. That was also no. really brutal. That the. Oh my gosh, the child killing? Yeah, this? that was like really oh a little over the top there, Erickson. Like, geez, man. Like, this, yeah, and like, I don't really understand why they had to do it. I guess they were like muscle memory sort of thing. I don't know. It was it was a brutal scene. Like the the clans had like there was like some kind of schism between the clans, and it was like this. It was like a recreation. So it's like it's not really like necromancy because like they're not. Uh, and if it, in the Discord, please correct me if I'm wrong about this. But it seemed to me that Sormo and like and it wasn't Sormo. It was uh, Nil actually one of the. Oh, that's right. It okay, was, it was Nil um, that was like summoning these skeletal warriors. Uh, but it was it was like a reenactment of like their last time that or like the the last battle they were in. So they were just like holding up the army by just being there like not necessarily really and they were like swinging their swords and stuff but like it wasn't like calling up a bunch of telanimas that are like autonomous you know what i mean i don't think that that's totally. it's not like similar and i think even nil was like this bought us a, a few seconds you know what i mean right, like this right. was just, just like people a, are like whoa all these undead people killing their babies what thing that would stop any soldier i feel like any sane person it was mentioned that kellenved actually prevented he, him taking over the lands was one of the reasons why these tribes no longer does that, which goes back to this whole like Malazan good, Malazan bad. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always good buried in the bad and bad buried in the good. Right. The path to hell and all that. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the beauty of this series and the scope of this series and just how impressed I am as a fantasy fan and as a writer with with the execution of this series, like all that, all of that is really about the complexity and then how well handled it is and the questions that it makes you ask. And I mean, this is, this is a lot, like this is a lot to, to think about and it's a lot to handle and it's very, it's just, it's just kind of like hard to read sometimes. I mean, this, these, these whirlwind parts were definitely like the blood flies were really hard to read. The stuff happening to mm-hmm. Felison was hard to read. The torture was hard to read. The child sacrificing, killing stuff. Yeah. Like all, the... It's a lot, you know, it's a lot. Um, but I mean, this is, empire like this is uh you know Ooh, well said this is empire yeah, this is empire <laughs> i mean like this this is uh empirical forces and uh that's bad enough and then you when throw men magic god you throw yeah. magic in you throw ascendance in you throw uh soul taken in you, you throw shape-shifting 
giant bears that that are carrying leopards on their backs. Apparently a goat bigger than a planet. You have Denrabi in the oceans. Uh, there's just nowhere safe anywhere around here, you know? So even if the uh, the gods didn't exist, uh, even if the Denrabi didn't exist, even if the soul taken and Everest didn't exist, there would still be this massive rebellion happening in this giant country but against a gigantic invading imperial force, which is so compelling to read about. Oh my God, man. I'm so happy that we're reading this and 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 that we're we're through the whirlwind part because now we get to come to the chain of dogs, which is arguably the coolest part of the entire book, which is saying so much. It's saying so much because we've already read so many amazing, amazing things happen. Dead House Gates has to be one of the best books in this series. I've only read so I finished the first two, but like it is I feel like for Malzon fans, this must be one of the best books, right? I mean, like this must be I think it's at least the book that will tell you like in our dear listeners um if you've made it with us this far and you're still having a rough time that totally makes sense if you get to the end of dead house gates and you're just like i'm tapping out that totally makes sense like you totally gave it a it. really good shot like yeah that's good for you. you did you did 1400 pages worth of reading and it's it just might not be experience some horrific things i think that <laughs> reading all reading this again especially after reading volume of like books that I've read in the last like few years, especially, especially stuff on this podcast and stuff. These are uh, such a cut above the rest. You know what I mean? Like Malazan is, it's just like this whole other thing. I haven't read anything that's got like the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. Like I, 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 I can't think of anything that's got like this kind of, it's not just Wait. the it's not just the depth of the lore. It's like the complexity of the narratives. You know what I mean? It's like the complexity. Yeah, and the emotional involvement. Yeah, it's so much, man. And we're only a, we got a taste, man. We've had a few bites of this. The divorce that we get from like traditional storytelling, like yeah. exposition, yeah, right? Absolutely. Where it's like, like, have we Whiskey Jack's one of my favorite characters? Have we even seen him at all once <laughs> nope, in not, this book? The not. best book that we're attached, not even once. He's you know, it's crazy. Like three times, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I actually don't really know. Is he going to go join up with Duke uh, Jack One Arm to go fight that like weird, yeah, um, religious Panion Seer? Yeah, Panion Seer. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, wow. I'm like tired from this episode. <laughs> so Me too, dude. dude. Me too. Oh this gosh. was a lot, but a, a lot happens in there. We didn't even cover everything. Like, no, yeah. no. I, I don't know why. I don't know what the soul taken and the divers doing. I don't really know what. They're on the um, path of hands. They're trying to ascend. That's a. Uh... Yeah, but like, what, what does that even mean? Like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought <laughs> like, I answered that. Like, like they're fighting each other. Yeah, yeah, but no, you're right. Yeah, I don't may, know that maybe. I really want Ascension <laughs> and the whole concept of it to be, like, explained to me. I think it's going to be a little bit. I think, I think so, too. I yeah, think maybe I think Warrens, so, too. The Warrens, it might be a little bit. I think it's just one of those things where it's never it's really... Like becoming a witcher. I don't think that... I don't think that Erickson <laughs> really sits and tells you anything. He doesn't well, tell like, anything. Well, what I mean, though, is, like, I don't think there's... <laughs> there's very. It's very rare that Erickson is like, okay, stop everything for a right, second. Right, right. Let me just tell you about... Uh, Sanderson does it. Totally, he does, yeah. And I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. I think Sanderson does it in a very graceful way, uh, a lot, most of the time. Uh, but I think that Erickson is more like, okay, there's 10 books here. Once you put together every piece from every book, you'll figure it out. He subscribes to the, like, glory of God to hide a matter, glory of kings to seek it out sort of <laughs> idea, you know? Love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm excited for Chain of Dogs. I'm, I'm really excited for Deadhouse Gates, uh, the fourth book in this second volume of Malazan. I, yeah. I feel like... I remember Deadhouse Gates being a total bonkers 
weird just <laughs> like fever dream yeah i think i remember yeah, like, yeah. like reading it when i was like 26 or whatever and i was just like why what is going on right now uh, and there's yep. a whole chapter of that or a whole book of that i should say okay while we wrap things i'm most excited for sure. more coltane and his strategy yep. because i'm just a sucker more for coltane. that and then strangely mapo and Ikarium, i just i forget what their thing is and i want to be re- gets retold yeah. And I mean, I think it does, but it's already pretty cool. I already have a, I have a kinship with them that I like really like them and I want to know what's going on more. So I'm excited to kind of be the bird on their shoulder for a little bit. What are you most excited about? Oh, and Kalam. I just love the the happenings of Kalam. Um, I'm excited. to. I want to know more about this boat situation with Culp and Felicin and Stormy and Truth and, and Gessler and stuff. I feel like I remember something really awesome happening and I just don't really remember what it is. Um, yeah, but cool I, stuff. I just want like a few more answers with that. I feel like that was like the weakest part of my understanding of this whole volume so far is just what the hell was going on there. Um, also, I think now is a good time to, I was thinking of this like while we were kind of getting our notes together for this episode and I'm going to try to do this more often and I want to kind of like encourage our readers to do this a little more often. I think I need to slow down a little bit while I'm reading because I think that I'm just kind of skating by some stuff and and that, that is one of the difficult parts of, the, of these books is that you're not really sure like what exactly you really need to pay attention to. Right, there's what's so really much coming important. at you. But I think that I need to, just for my own enjoyment, you know, just kind of like mm-hmm. go back, read another, read that page again, read that conversation again. I think that I think I'm understanding it a little more than I actually am sometimes. And I might, I might be just leaving a little bit behind. So I would, I would maybe encourage uh, our listeners to like, if something doesn't make sense, maybe take a second read the page again. If it doesn't make sense again, it might not, it might just be one of those things that doesn't make sense right now. I read the boat section three times really? yeah. and my understanding yeah. is still like very much not very good. Yeah. So there are some things that it's like, man, you just kind of have to say yes. And, and keep on going, you know, but I totally. do totally agree with you. See, I only read the, I only read the boat section the one time, but I read the section with Fiddler in the desert with the, with the, the jack with the leopards on top of the thing like, like three times because i was just like this is so freaking cool i like went over it a few different times and then also um the specific moment of coltane showing up i read that twice because it was like yeah i read kalam was... killing eight men twice <laughs> so i read cool. uh the i read the charge across the water um yeah, a few that was, times that was very <laughs> very very good uh but yeah i mean just uh we're just i just want to leave that with everybody you know just like you know give yourself room to go back read some stuff and also forgive yourself again like we're only we're halfway through the second book in a 10 book series there's just a lot of stuff we're not really going to understand and i think like chad and i need to afford ourselves that space to not understand stuff and i and i really hope that our listeners can still afford me and chad that space to to like be wrong about some stuff i really appreciate the contributions in the discord that we've been having we have a lot of really knowledgeable people everybody's been really cool with the spoilers and everything uh try to keep up on that everybody and yeah i mean um correcting me and chad if we just kind of totally write about something that's that we need to we need to be corrected on so that people can understand more that's really awesome appreciate it everybody like it takes a village Uh, if you're correcting us on something that we got wrong but only because of a spoiler right if it's like a future thing that we don't know (laughs) I read this book 13 years ago. Like, give me a break. I feel like people give us too many breaks. It's probably because no, I'm just cool dumb. No, no, we're doing good. All right, everybody. Well, we that's going to do it I feel for us. Good. That is, that's going to wrap it up for the second book 
in the second volume of Malazan Book of the Fallen. Join us next week for the third book in the second volume of Malazan, and that is the Chain of Dogs, which is oh man, such a good Woof. chapter. <laughs> Woof. Alright, <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for me, everybody. It's going to do it for Chad, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hope you have an amazing rest of your day, and of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody.